and uh, I, I got in trouble when we moved up to Marietta when I was in third grade, and I, 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 I learned that they were paddling people then, and uh, anybody else experienced that time of life? And Yeah, I got to paddle several times, and uh, so my parents sent me off to a child psychologist, and they said, oh, he's bored, so they sent me down to a private school down in Atlanta. And they were not, they did not have a ton of money. I'm going to tell you, I, I come from a family that's loving and caring. You know, I really got no, no real excuse to have acted out the way I did. You know, I don't think, I really don't think my background really matters. I've come and seen, there's, each and every one of us came in from a different path. You know, each and every one of us drank for a different reason. The reason must not matter. Because what's really neat is that we have a solution upon which we can agree. And if one solution works, then how and why I got here is, is a waste of time. I've come to figure out that there's never been an answer to a question why in the history of mankind. My kids would say, why do I have to go to school? Oh, so you get an education. Well, why do we have to have an education? So you can get a job. Why do we have to have a job? So you can make some money. Why do we have to have money? Oh, well, I mean, the failure of the barter economies in the history of mankind. I don't know why they failed. You know, it works. You know, it's what we got, it's how it is, it's, it's the way things are, and it works. I think that's what we're telling the folks, and that's what you told me when I came in here. It doesn't matter why. We, have, we don't have a chapter called Why It Works. We have a chapter called How It Works. And any time I spend on trying to figure out why I'm in here has been, for me, a total waste of time. What I need to do is, if I'm knee-deep in mud, I don't need to figure out how I got knee-deep in mud. I need to figure out what's the next thing I can do to get out of the mud. Well, during the 60s, yeah, we used to, yeah, there was always alcohol around and involved in everything, but I really was not drinking alcoholically. I wasn't doing any of that. And, uh, but I, it was fun. I was in, with the hippies, and there was a guy named David Perkins. And this sort of plays into, uh, into uh, the spiritual angle. I think one of the things that really is a unifying factor of those people who make it and stay in the program were seekers. We've been seeking something. For me, David Perkins said to me, he said, uh, is it a coincidence you're a Christian in a Christian country? If it's the truth of the universe, why does it matter where you're born? That's a heck of a question for a 15-year-old. But I, got to, I was up on top of Kennesaw Mountain, and I started looking out at the, at the scenery up there and imagining the curve of the earth, and I couldn't see it. I said, boy, this is a big place, man. I wonder what's on the other side. And it was, a, it was wonder that came into me. And I'll tell you what, so much of my sobriety today has to do with being in awe and wonder. Staying in awe and wonder. Because when I got into my disease, there was nothing that was enough. And yet I was swimming in an abundance called creation. And I didn't appreciate it. But during that time, though, I did. I was a seeker. And what I did is I decided to, uh, my parents ran away from home when I was 17 to move to Alabama. And 
And it was a little town of 2,000, and I said, I don't know. I mean, I used to hitchhike down to Atlanta and be around the park and, you know, watching the Almond Joy play down there and selling joints for a buck a piece around the park and making candles and the whole deal. And so I decided to move into an apartment between uh, uh, Peachtree and West Peachtree on 12th Street. And I got a, what my, my dad calls an education. And... Uh, and I learned something about living down there. And I had a full-time job. I was working uh, for Blue Cross Blue Shield in, uh, in what is the, uh, my, my favorite job title I ever had, which was Chief Inserter uh, in the middle. <laughs> uh, there are some people here with some dirty minds like me. So. Um, but uh, what I found out is I began looking around and I said, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to get an education. You know, and so I did move down to Alabama. My parents were living on a lake. It was their dream. They had always wanted. They they grew, they met when they met. All they had was an outboard motor, and they would rent the boat. And we'd go riding around on the lake and look at the houses, and they dreamed about it. My dad designed it, and uh, and built it, and they lived their dream. You know, which is all any one of us can do, really, right? That's a real measure of success, being able to live your dream. So uh, I went down there, and, I, and you know, anybody else have this said to you that, that uh, you had a lot of potential if you only applied yourself? Yeah. Well, I had a C average in high school, but I, I came to realize that I needed to do something different, and I did. I pulled a 4-0 down there at the little junior college, and my parents were happy about that, so uh, I wound up going out to Colorado, and the way I did that is I picked a... I called up the long-distance information, and I asked them, what colleges do you have in Colorado? And they said, well, I have Colorado and Colorado State. And I said, hold it. I pulled a penny out of my pocket and flipped it. It was tails, and I wound up going to Colorado State. And the first week I was there, went down to a meeting where they were handing out refrigerators, and there was a couple of gals sitting on the couch, and I sat down and butted into the conversation. Some of those people who know me find that hard to believe, right, Wayne? Anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, that, uh, that lady is my wife, and we're coming up on 34 years of marriage uh, in October. I introduced my roommate to the gal sitting right next to her, and they got married six months before we did. It was a really wonderful summer. It was an amazing kind of time, and, uh, and I, I, I started studying history with a specialty in India and China, looking at that other side of the world. And I did a lot of studying about you know, various religions and various philosophies, but what I didn't have that I had to get to get into this program was a vital spiritual experience. What I was doing is I was reading the words I was like the guy who went to the fancy restaurant, ordered the filet mignon, and ate the menu. <clears throat> and it tasted not so great. I said, I don't get this. See, what I was doing is I was looking for God in my understanding. I did not find God in my thoughts. I wound up finding God between my thoughts. I found God between my feelings in a space that is not nameable because it's in a space where names don't happen. And um, today I move in the presence of something I don't understand. 
I don't even try to understand anymore. It was just the wrong tool to try and use, to try and understand. What I do is I love prayers of acknowledgement. It's very funny because when I was listening, I was kind of hard to say the Lord's Prayer the way we were saying it. And so I added a word in here and there where it says, uh, you know, because it was saying, uh, lead us not to temptation. Well, this thing that I connected up with doesn't do that. So I just put the word you in front of it. You lead us not into temptation. You deliver us from evil. You give us this day. And then when I heard Chuck Chamberlain talk about it, he met a guy who was, a, who was an expert in Aramaic, which is the language of Jesus. And he said that that's the way the prayer was originally written, with the you in it. I said, whoa, yeah. <laughs> you know? And he had this, Chuck Chamberlain had the same problem with it. But to me, it becomes a, a prayer of acknowledgement. Bill says praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Otherwise, it's like, like uh, Scott Lee says, hey, big guy, take a knee. Here's the plan for the day. You know, you're supposed to feed me, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to do that. That seems like an old idea to me. And I love just stopping. I love the pausing throughout the day to just acknowledge. And what I can acknowledge is I acknowledge creation because I find that out creation and creator, same thing. I don't, need to, I don't need to look for God because everything I look at is God. Bill says God is everything or he's nothing. And the neat question is, what was your choice to be? So everything I get to look at today is God. You know, today what's really amazing, I want to get to know everybody. When I was drinking, and I'll get into that, but I isolated. I wound up going through the 80s. I wound up getting married to my wife. She brought me back here to to uh, Atlanta. She just loved all the plants and everything back here. And I had, I did not drink alcoholically during the 80s. You know, with a non, and I can tell you what the feeling is, is from a non-alcoholic is I, take, I would take a few drinks, I would feel out of control, and I would stop. Well, I got into compute. I went from this liberal arts degree, and I was going to go into international business. It was on the same floor as the marketing department. All of a sudden, I'm in the marketing department, and all of a sudden, in life, you know how it does that? The next thing you know, I'm doing marketing research, and I've taken a few computer courses, and I found out that I was capable of conversing with inanimate objects. And I actually enjoyed it. I may put that on my resume, capable of conversing with inanimate objects. But, um, and this was a time when the PCs were just coming out, and, um, and it was a lot of fun. And I moved up through a company. I was working for Equifax, a division of Equifax, and then... Um, but what's, my son was born in 1984. My daughter was born in 1989. Got these great home videos of us doing these great, you know, parties and all this stuff. Life was really pretty good. But then William James, who wrote The Varieties of Religious Experience, which is the book that Eddie gave Bill just a day or two after he had his hot flash. In that book, William James is talking about what were the common things that people who had spiritual experiences, what was something common that went across the board? And one of the things that was a common factor was a shift from pessimism to optimism. 
What I did is I went the other way. I went from optimism to pessimism. I started looking at what was wrong with my wife, what was wrong with my life, what was wrong with the job, by looking at, always looking at the news and thinking I knew what was going on with the rest of the world. Bill talks about on page, uh, um, should be 61, in the bottom of 61, he talks about the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine complaining of the sad state of the nation, the minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, Politicians and reformers are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would just behave. The outlaw safecracker who is lost all and locked up. You know, the outlaw safecracker who thinks society is wrong and then the alcoholic who is lost all and locked up. And I went, what in the world do all of those have in common? What is he trying to get at? And what I found out was, what does the retired businessman know about the state of 138 million people, which is the population of the U.S. in 1938, when that book was written? Anybody here flown over the United States? Have you seen and tried to count all the little hamlets and villages and towns and all of that? What kind of ego did I have to think I could know what the state of 138 million people were? And what should the businessman be doing anyway? He's been working all his life trying to retire. And what's he doing? He's sitting there complaining about the sad state of the nation when he's down in Florida. You see, it's never enough. That sounds like the alcoholic, doesn't it? Did you ever have enough? You see, I didn't want the stuff. I wanted the, I wanted the way I thought I would feel when I got the stuff. I didn't want the car. I wanted the way I thought I would feel when I got the car. I remember buying my first, my first car I bought on my own, a little Grand Am, and I'm driving it out of that Pontiac shop right near uh, Windy Hill and 41. Before I get it out of the parking lot, there's a Bonneville sitting there parked up there all nice and shiny, and I went, oh, that looks better than the one I got. I'm not, I haven't made a payment. I'm not even in the parking lot. <laughs> Did you ever have enough? You see, Bill talks about, Bill talks about we try to make these little arrangements, trying to arrange life to suit ourselves. And this is the part about my life being unmanageable because I was trying to manage the wrong things. I was trying to manage the outsides so that then I would feel good about me. What the program teaches me in that fourth column on the fourth step is I need to look at my part. And what I've come to believe, this has been a half a century coming, but the circumstances of my life have absolutely nothing to do with the quality of my life. How I respond to the circumstances of my life has everything to do with the quality of my life. That's why I can never arrange it properly because it's got to be an inside job. And I can only do that if I can find a power greater than myself that will take care of the future for me. There's a power behind the principles that when I rely on the principles, all the little details get taken care of. I can do that thing that's at my feet. So many times, all I have to do is say, stop looking way out there, look at my feet. What opportunity is laying right in front of me right now? And here's my rule. 
If I can do whatever I'm about to do with kindness and integrity, the results will always be favorable, 100% of the time. You see, God's will for me today is not a what. God's will for me is a how. I have an infinite number of directions I can go right from here. Really, an infinite number of directions. Half of them match the principles, half of them don't. Anybody good with math? What's half of infinity? It's infinity. So I have not cut my options in number at all. So I can do an infinite number of things, all of them will be favorable because I can do them with kindness and integrity. Now, kindness is a very interesting word. It comes from a root called kin, which means family. That goes back to our first tradition, unity. What are each and every one of us seeking anyway, which is unity? To be connected. An alcoholic and its cups is the loneliest creature on earth. That is my little theory. It's been my experience. Loneliness such as few know. So what happened was uh, I had a guy I was working, he was working for me and he had his bachelor party and we went to a belly dancing thing and then they went to a strip joint after that and all of a sudden I went back to being six years old again at the Pull Your Pants Down Club. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden I started thinking, I'm not getting this from my wife. Next, about two weeks, three weeks later, something like that, long day of work, decided to go get a massage on the way home. Never had a massage, went there. The lady offered the full treatment, and I accepted it. Because, and I justified it. You see, we have this word called denial that's kind of come in. At, at, it's not in the big book anywhere. I mean, denial just simply means knowing the truth and being unwilling to tell it for fear of the negative, negative consequences. Little kids will do that. You know, did you break that toy? No, I didn't break that toy. You know, that's denial. Delusion. Yeah, Bill uses that word. Yeah. That's, that's simply believing something that's not true. And uh, what Clancy said that I really loved, he said, the mind, when faced with sufficient conflict, will alter its view of reality in order to resolve the conflict. That's delusion. That's where my disease is. That's what will give me the next drink. If I get enough restless, irritable, and discontent, that will kick in. And all of a sudden, I will be able to convince myself, like I convinced myself that I was relieving my wife, because you see, in Japan and China, they have concubines. You know, that's a favor for the, for the wives. Well, the only problem was I wasn't in China. <laughs> my wife is neither Chinese or Japanese. And, of course, I wasn't going to tell her about my little plan. Now, I tell you what, my mama raised me better than that. And what kicked in, which may have kicked in with a number of you, was guilt. And so then I began to drink to cover up the guilt. Then I started going to the strip joints. And then I started, and then I started drinking in the morning because I had the shakes. 
I remember the very day, turning on south on 41, getting ready to turn on Barry Parkway, and here I was, I was working for Hewlett Packard, I was building a data center for them, I was working with Fortune 500 CIOs, all of this stuff, managing Ford's network worldwide, doing all this stuff, and I was drinking heavily enough in front of their equipment that they did not, they eventually did not appreciate it. Somebody smelled it on my breath. Um, and I got put on probation in April of 2001. And I went back and I quit drinking. And I went back to applying myself. Put on the afterburners. Anybody done that? Put on those afterburners. All of a sudden stuff starts coming in, accolades, all those other things. And then the CEO of HP laid off everyone that was on probation regardless of what their management thought about it. So all of a sudden, I'm driving home and I realized that I had lent my name to another organization. The very essence of who I thought I was was tied into the job, was tied into the role, was tied into being that person. And all of a sudden, I was a gigantic hole. And so I started filling it the way I knew how to fill it, with alcohol. And then I go along for three or four months, quit, go along for a month or two, talk myself back into it and do it again. For the next several years, that was my pattern. I understand Dr. Bob's nightmare. Now, he did it for a whole lot more years than I can. He had a lot more stamina than I did, you know, and uh, a lot of years. We're capable of doing this for a very long time. So what happened is that... Uh, it got down to the, uh, it was a month later after they're getting laid off, and I was over at my sister's in Birmingham, and the date was 9-11. And we watched the planes hit the towers, and I knew that my industry had changed. And my, two days later, my sister and brother-in-law went out to a German club they would go to, and I stayed home. I was working on a program. I was trying I was going to build a business. I, in fact, I told those people at HP, when I come back here, I'm going to be a millionaire next year. You watch, I'm going to be a millionaire next year. I'll tell you, I'm a millionaire today many times over, and it is an entirely different currency. An entirely different currency. And nobody can take it from me. And I have enough to give away to anybody that wants it. And it's an endless supply. It is not a bucket. It's like a pipe that's been tapped into the Pacific Ocean. It is a channel of peace. It's an infinite source of power. So, they went to the German club and... Their Black Jack Daniels in the cabinet started calling my name. Anybody had that old old Jack whisper to you a little bit? Over here. Come on. Just one. Come on. I had I had three. Now I didn't have the whole bottle because remember I like pleasure by sneaking around and I'd have gotten caught if I took the whole bottle. Anybody know where I was the next morning? At 9 o'clock in the morning, sitting in the parking lot, and I find out the liquor store doesn't open until 
So I'll wait. Now, if you're new on this program, let me give you a great promise. It's not that you can't ever drink again. This is about never, ever having to drink again. At that moment, I had to drink. And I had been sober for five months. Not sober, but dry. And then I started this whole roller coaster thing for the next several years. And then it came down to Thanksgiving of 2003. And I had uh, been dry for two months. Went to Birmingham with the family, getting along great and everything. I go to the ATM. I take out $300 we don't really have to spend. Make an excuse that I got clients that I got to do some work for. Don't have any clients. I'm lying. Anybody else get to start lying during the drinking? And I love that. One of our best games is trying to hide the bottle. Where do you hide the bottle? I smoked for eight to ten years, and my wife didn't even know it. I would smoke hanging my head out the bathroom window when it rained. Now, there's a great question for an alcoholic that I found. What would a grown-up do? Here I am, acting just like I did back in the neighborhood where we'd sneak out at night and go wander around the neighborhood and come back in. Same thing, 40 years old. This is who you've invited to speak to you tonight. What you're hearing of anything of wisdom is nothing I brought into this program. I guarantee you that. So... I drive to Atlanta, and I'm telling myself as I'm going along, don't think about what you're doing. Don't think about it. Don't think. La, 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 la. <laughs> went over to the Mardi Gras, then went over to a, a, a massage parlor off of Cheshire Bridge. Three days later, I had 105 degree temperature. I was absolutely sure I had a sexually transmitted disease. Fever broke, and some very strange things started happening with my body. Um, and uh, some people call it the tuba thing, but if you want further description, see me after the meeting. Um, and uh, this was in December, so I immediately did something about it, and in February I went to the doctor. And, uh, well, you know how it is. We wish it away, you know, just not, you know, wishing it away. Finally, I couldn't wish it away anymore. But, you know, I went there and I let them do a little swab test thing, but I would not do the pee test because then they might find I, I drank to get over to the doctor. And I don't want them to take my solution away. I love this guy who said we should go to veterinarians because they're used to treating their patients who won't tell them what's going on. <laughs> In May, I went to this good doctor, and I finally told him what was going on. And he said something really neat that I, is so true. He said, oh, you're self-medicating. How true is that? You know, I need to change the way I feel. Dr. Damon, self-medicator, you know, what do I need to do to change the way I feel? Something outside, anything outside, it can't be me, you know. 
Well, that was in May. In July, I get the letter from the wife. We're probably going to lose the house. If we lose it, I'm going to get another one, but you're not invited. I still got that letter. So I agree to make an appointment to go to behavioral services. I lie about it. I don't make the appointment. On August the 9th of 2004, I had a half a fifth of Barton vodka in the plastic bottle, much easier to get rid of. By the way, I'd gotten a DUI in by 96 with a half a fifth of Corvassier underneath the seat of my car, so I had come a long way from Corvassier to Barton. I had half a pack of cigarettes, a Hustler, and a Club magazine, and this little thing I hadn't even looked at in months. And that's that's where I'd gotten to. I'd isolated myself out in my home. Because, you see, I get pleasure by sneaking around, so I'm not, I'm not going to want to go meet people or get to know anybody because it's easy to get caught that way. I don't want to look people in the eye at the convenience store or at the store. I have trouble with the shake sometimes when I go up to the ATM to put the buttons in. I'm worried if I miss it three times, they'll take my card. And then what am I going to do? I went to a place called Dirt Cheap Music and sold my guitar. Now, that's insane. You should go to most expensive music and sell your guitar. You don't go to Dirt Cheap Music and sell your guitar. Something wrong with that thinking. Anyway, and that gave me enough to get by for a little bit. So I decided to quit drinking. That was on Monday. My sobriety date I treat as August the 10th of 2004, <clears throat> which is the first day that I had without a drink. And I was kicking on my own. I drank in parking lots. I was not the kind of guy you'd like to hang out with. Listening to Neil Bortz and G. Gordon Liddy and drinking my booze and making all sorts of opinions about what the world should do to be a better place. And here I am ruining my own life and the lives of my family. You have anybody ever here see the never-ending story? You know the nothing and the never-ending story? That's what I was, the nothing. So, uh, it was Thursday, 3.30 in the morning. I got my one hour of sleep. And I said the three-word prayer of an atheist, because at that time I was an atheist. I was not only sure there was no God, I was convinced I could convince you there was no God. And the three-word prayer of an atheist that I said deep down into the very depths of my soul, I need help. And I meant it. And then I decided, well... I'm supposed to be at this appointment that isn't scheduled, and my wife thinks it's scheduled. I mean, I, I'm tired of lying. I got absolutely tired of lying. It's like juggling 5,700 plates. So I woke her up the next morning after I got my daughter off to school, sat down on the couch, and I told her, I've been a son of a bitch. That's exactly what I said. And I basically outlined the nature of my wrongs to her. I knew nothing about a program. Believe me, I'm not recommending this to anybody. As it's turned out, I've been a very fortunate man. This, this amazing woman that I'm married to, that, that was able to survive that. Well, anyway, 
I called the behavioral services and they said, well, we can get you an appointment August 31st. This is like the 12th. I said, I don't think you understand. I've been drinking a fifth of vodka a day and I'm ready to quit. They said, we'll call you back. Meanwhile, I made a call to the, the, my doctor to get the tuba thing worked on. And uh, I got an appointment for Monday. They called me back. We can see you Monday. And, they, and it turned out I was going to have to see them Tuesday. So through that weekend, I made a list of all the things I needed to do. It was actually about eight pages long, single space. I showed it to my wife. She says, it certainly is a lot. I've got about 80% of that list done after nine years. But um, I began to go from this with my everything pointing in at me to starting that agonizing process of turning around and figuring out what I could do. How could I be a responsible member of society? Something about it. Somehow I intuitively knew that I needed to get some things done, that I needed to turn my life around by action, by taking actions. I went to behavioral services, and my wife said, can I go with you? And I said, no, no, I need to do this. And I got over there, but I forgot I had a fear of filling out forms. Anybody have that when you're drinking with a shit? And I got there, and they had 14 pages of forms. And so I just did that thing that's so amazing in overcoming fear. I just started the trembling hand like that. I know it took me 45 minutes to fill them out, but by the end I was writing real clear. And I went in and told the psychiatrist everything. She said, anything else? And I said, well, I used to have a fear of filling out forms, but you guys cured that in one sitting. So. And then she said, well, do you have anything uh, going this afternoon? Because we've got, you can go over and see behavioral services. Now, here's a guy who had the full calendar, the pager. Yes, I did have a pager. And, uh, I, the, you know, the whole deal, cell phone, Outlook, blasting, you know, all of, at, at one time in my life, no calendar, no daytimer planner, no nothing. Clean slate. That's good news if you're coming in here. If you're wiped clean, that's really good news. Because I had a blank page. You see, I love the white chip because of the backside of it, which is a blank page upon which we can write a whole new life. I need to come in wiped out. And I was wiped out. So the, uh, I went over to behavioral services, and the guy there, Joe Pringle, he had Buddhist books and all these Oriental books, you know, up on the shelf. And I went, that's interesting. And he said, well, you know, he started talking about the AA program. And I said, well, the only problem I have with that is this God thing, you know. And he said, well, you mentioned you were reading the seven habits of highly effective people while you were drinking, which I just think is funny. <laughs> I was anything but highly effective in any way, and I had some very bad habits. But he said, you know, they talk about natural laws in that book. And I said, yeah, you mean like gravity? He said, yeah. So why don't you treat these spiritual laws like gravity? And I'll tell you what, today I still do. Kindness and integrity are very reliable. As Chuck Chamberlain said, it is justice without judgment. In other words, the laws apply whether there's a court trial or not. You know? Just like gravity, if I went to drop this thing on the floor, I wouldn't have to have a trial to figure out whether the law of gravity would apply in this case. 
Same way with spiritual laws. They always apply. So I went to my first AA meeting that Friday at the uh, 8111 Club, and the night before I had had my first uninterrupted night of sleep. That should be in the promises somewhere. Probably along with your first good bowel movements. I hear some identification out there, right? So, uh, so I went to that meeting, and I came out, and my sister said, how long do you have to go to those meetings? And I said, the rest of my life, without a thought. That's a gift. I cannot claim the willingness. I am overflowing with willingness to do this deal. And I cannot give a single drop of it to you. I can show you what it looks like, but I've sponsored a lot of people and I cannot give it away as much as I'd love to. I went to my, found my first meeting in Cobb County and the guy to my right, first guy to raise his hand, said, Okay, I'll be a sponsor. You know, said sponsor. I said, okay, I need one of those. I've been to school. I had a syllabus. You know, just check it off. This guy hauled dirt for a living. I built data centers. Got out in the parking lot. He said, do you believe in God? I said, nope. He said, how about a power greater than yourself? I said, don't think so. He said, uh, let me get this right. You're the most powerful thing in the universe. And I had to think about that. I said, well, I guess not. He said, well, we got some hope. And he took me through those steps. Okay, remember this is in August of 2004. In November of 2005, Steve had a heart attack. Steve Davis. But he called me up and said, I'm having a heart attack, but don't worry about it. You know, I got my family and they got an ambulance coming. But you know that guy you've been working with? You need a, I got a suggestion. Maybe you do this and this to help him out. He said, don't worry about coming over to the hospital. You know, I, I told my son. My son went back to his apartment. His roommate came out and said, my dad just had a heart attack. He said, what's his name? Steve Davis. My son and his son had been roommates, and we didn't even know it. I have retired as an atheist. It has gotten way too hard to explain these things away. And let me tell you what. What I'm surprised at today is when I have a day when I don't have one of those happen. Steve Davis died on December the 16th. He said, I only know one way to take you through this thing, and that's by the book. Thank God. That's all we need. It's the owner's manual for the care and maintenance of your average alcoholic, which I am one. And they're there, and they work 100% of the time. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. What is sometimes too sad is rarely do we see a person who thoroughly follows his path. And what I reach out to each and every one of you is let you know that what I have today 
is because I love what Earl Hightower said. He said, so much of this program is finding out what thoroughly really means. I want to thank you all for letting me share tonight.